Welcome back to seeing life from a different angle. I thought today I would begin by introducing you to the new um, intro music. It's written by my nephew, Alex. Um, so it's a short interlude, and then we'll carry on with our topic after that. was kind enough to write that song for me for this podcast um, after having listened to it a couple of times and I think that it fits really appropriately so from this point on out of love for him and for the family I'm going to use that pod that music for this podcast as the introduction music so hopefully that uh, the listener will really like that um, I thought today as a topic of conversation that I would talk about anger. You know, I was recently asked by patient, a former patient, about about anger and the anger that they experience in their relationships. And I think it's an important thing for us to consider, especially on the heels of our conversation last week. You know, there have been many times, I think, in anyone's life, my own included, where, you know, we we assume that something is really about us. And when we make those assumptions, if you recall, like the idea of the individual psychology in the first cornerstone of a relationship is to recognize that what somebody else says or does is not about the listener, but about the speaker or about the actor, but it has an effect upon us. I think in many ways, we sometimes believe that the effect it has upon us really makes it about us. And so one of the things that ends up happening is that we end up feeling a sense of anger that stirs up inside of us because of what the other person said or did. And it's an interesting thing to consider. You know, you think about the number of times within your relationship with someone that you love where they're talking about something difficult and you want to be there to help them. And I believe this is oftentimes true for men more often than not because we tend to think that it is our task to fix the situation. Much like working on a car, we think that if we can offer the right options, we can say the right things, that the other person will, you know, respond to that and appreciate us and value us all the more because we were there to fix the situation. When in truth, you know, what we really should do is heed those two very important words that we rarely heed. And those words are shut and up. You know, the other person's not speaking to us because they want us to fix it. Unless those words come from their lips, more often than not, what they're looking for is just for us to listen, to see them, to hear them, to know them. You know, we, we want to understand what it is that they're experiencing, not just what they're saying, but what's motivating it? What's making them feel the way they feel or think the way they think? So how does this relate to anger? I think it does when we recognize that there is an effect upon us, but we don't recognize that it's not about us. We make it about ourselves. 
because you know we look at those circumstances let's go back to that idea that your wife or your girlfriend or friend says to you you know this is what's going on in my life at work or at home with the kids or whatever the case might be and they say you know I don't there's nothing I need you to do to fix this you know there's nothing you can do to fix this what do we experience I think we experience this sense of frustration but why why do we experience that frustration it just seems to come from nowhere it is the effect that it's having upon us but where is it coming from I think if we step back and look at it honestly and with a greater sense of depth we'll recognize that it comes from a personal blow to our own narcissism and by that I mean that you know our ego is looking for every engagement that we have to be one that gratifies it every relationship engagement conversation interaction whatever word you might want to use we want or our ego wants gratification it wants its um, its needs to be met and whatever the circumstance might be whether those needs are emotional or intellectual or sexual or erotic which translated would mean the need to be touched or held or caressed or the need to be able to be ourselves or even to meet the other person's needs one way or another we struggle when the other person does not gratify those needs and I think it's one of the reasons why the world is such an angry place is because we fail to recognize that we're struggling and the world as a whole is struggling with deprivation there's so much sadness so much deprivation that goes on in this world and I think so much of it has to do with the fact that we don't stop long enough to think about what the needs are of the other as much as we stay in the space of thinking about what it is that our ego needs in that particular moment so if we return to that scenario where someone that we care about or love is saying to us that they're frustrated by something that's going on in our lives and we open up our mouth to offer them some type of corrective guidance something that will make everything all better and they shut us out or they shut us down and in that moment instead what we end up feeling is this burning inside not necessarily physically but an emotional sense of wait a minute now you're supposed to meet my needs you know I'm here for you I'm listening to you why are you not listening to me why are you not letting me fix this circumstance why do I not matter to you and I think that that's a real interesting piece of how the psyche works how the ego works if it's constantly looking for gratification of its needs when a moment arises where we feel some sense of deprivation there's going to be consequences for that and I think that it's important to consider what those consequences might be because if we look at it from a different angle then we can see that there may be an opportunity there for us to be there for the other to love the other to care about the other to take them one step further I'm reminded of a scene from the movie what about Bob that Mary and I watched recently and the scene is Bob Wiley is walking for the very first time to go see Dr. Marvin and he's as he's walking down the street frightened and trepidatious about everything that he sees 
which is fascinating in and of itself for all the reasons that lie behind his fears. This gentleman passes by him, raging with anger toward the world or toward himself or both. And when we stop long enough, we can look at that and we can say, okay, Bob was frightened by this person. But what would have happened if Bob had stopped long enough to consider what might be happening to this person? What might this person be going through? Now, I know, and we all know, that we try not to stay around people who are frustrated or people who are angry. We tend to run to run away from those individuals. You know. But the truth of it is, as a line from Raiders of the Lost Ark, it takes just a shove, a nudge, to push us out of the light. We're no different than the guy walking down the street past Bob Wiley. We're no different than him. We may dress differently, we may think differently, we may act differently, but at the core, we feel the deprivation as much as he felt that deprivation. Because when our ego feels deprived, it feels pain. And it desperately, desperately wants to ease that pain. And so what it does is it expresses it to the world in the form of frustration. And it says to the world, I'm in agony, I'm in pain. Go back to moments in your own childhood or go back to moments in your children's childhood or children that you see, for instance, and they express this pain through a tantrum. They're trying to say something to us, but what do we do? We don't respond by trying to understand more often than not. We tend to push them away. We tend to punish them. But what's the consequence for us as adults or for children or for adolescents? What happens when we get pushed away? The pain, the deprivation doesn't get eased. It just becomes internalized again and becomes that much more painful and becomes a state of desperation now. A very, very painful place for us to be in. And that desperation is so painful internally that the ego can't tolerate it, and so it expresses it in some form of anger. It lets the world know, whether it's through rage or through tears or through breaking things, whatever the case might be, some emotion or some action or both, that there is some anguish going on here. And part of our task as human beings who we hope will love and care about each other at some point in time is to be able to stop long enough and say, you know, if I see this from a different angle, what is going on with this person? What are they really experiencing here? We go through life blind blind to the needs of others, blind to the circumstances that are around us, and we complain sadly about how sad the world is, how despairing the world is, how much struggle, how much pain, how much agony, how much suffering, and yet we do it day in and day out in our own lives, and it's done to us as well. People look right past us when we're angry because it's such an uncomfortable experience for everyone around us. It's uncomfortable for our ego and it's deeply uncomfortable for those that surround us in our lives. It brings us back to the idea of the, um, the convoy of ships that we talked about in the second podcast. And we talked about grief and loss. 
that human beings are like ships that are sailing together in this convoy. We're trying to get from point A to point B, from birth to death, and everything that goes on in between. And part of living a moral life is to not run into these other ships, not to do them harm. But we have to ask ourselves, aren't we doing so day in and day out by the neglect and avoidance of other people who are in pain? Whether it's the man walking past Bob Wiley or Bob Wiley himself or Dr. Marvin from this movie, you know, we look right past what it is another is experiencing because we're so focused on our own egos, on our own narcissism. And it brings us back to the idea of, you know, the first cornerstone of a relationship, which is that we need to recognize that what somebody else says or does is about them and not about us. Immediately, we tend to believe that it is about us, that it does because it affects us, it is about us, and this is why things are wrong in our lives. This is why we're angry, or this is why we're hurt, or this is why we're frustrated. Of course, life is never so simple as for us to be able to say, okay, here's where anger comes from, because there are different levels or degrees of anger. You know, you can look at a, at a child, an infant, and the infant may be angry, but their anger in those moments, because of the deprivation that they're experiencing, is healthy. And healthy in this sense is that the needs that they have within their ego, or for their ego's gratification, are not pathological. They're not distorted at that particular point in time. They're not distorted to a degree that the ego needs to do in order to get some form of gratification in life. The earliest form of the ego, as we talked about last week, you know, the closest we can be to Christ-like are those moments in early childhood when our ego needs are pure. And yet there will be deprivations. There will be frustrations. The child will throw tantrums. The child will cry. They will scream. But what they're doing is expressing the anger because they feel deprived at its purest level that is healthy. But there are individuals whose anger is overwhelming, who are angry all of the time. So how did they get to this place? And, you know, what is it that's going on within them psychologically? I think two things occur, or at least two things must be considered. The first is how healthy the individual is psychologically. The more unhealthy an individual is, the more inclined they are to turn towards seeking out gratification and tension reduction in ways that are increasingly unhealthy and pathological, what I refer to as artificial pleasures. The more inclined they are to go in that direction, the more they struggle with anger because deprivation comes so easily and the deprivation comes easily because ultimately what they're finding isn't really truly gratifying they think it might be for the moment but it's not you know you can imagine an individual who smokes cigarettes we'll use that as an example 
and they become angry because they don't have any cigarettes at the moment. They become angry with their co-workers or family because their ego feels tension rising and they're not in that moment able to ease that tension. And so their anger can be intense in those moments. And I think all of us have moments where we will strive toward seeking out artificial sorts of pleasure. They can be healthy or they can be unhealthy for us. But the most unhealthy individuals are those individuals who exist or are in a place of what I refer to as subsistence. They struggle day in and day out to survive, to just be, and they don't really have connections with other people in their lives. And because they don't have those connections, they don't really have anybody listening to them to ease that deprivation. So instead, they feel this internal sense of frustration. They may express it to the world, but there's very few people in the world that are there to listen to them. Instead, they turn toward these artificial pleasures of drugs or alcohol or masturbation or sexual behavior, all with the hope of easing the tension that is aroused and satisfying or gratifying the ego in these unhealthy sorts of ways. Like we talked about, the most healthy way to attain gratification for the ego is through connection with people that we love, that we value. I think this brings on an interesting topic, which is to consider, you know, what is love? Because I think it applies here as well when we consider the ego and its needs. As we've talked about, not all that we call love is love. And I think that the only way we can know love in our lives is first to be receptive to letting another person in to meet our ego's needs. And the second is the interest and willingness to meet the ego's needs of another person. The third is to do so in a way that is consistent. And the fourth is to do so with the motivation of connection. We'll talk about this topic at a different podcast, but I do think it's important for the consideration of anger because when we think about individuals who are more unhealthy, who are in a place of subsistence, they're not even really existing, they're just subsisting. Individuals in that space, and we probably, all of us know some individuals who are in that space, sadly. Individuals in this space, they are closed off to letting another person meet their ego's needs. They've been hurt far too often. And so as a byproduct, they don't let people in. They don't take the risk of letting other people in to gratify their needs. So they turn to these artificial pleasures. And because they don't let people in, and because they have only these artificial pleasures, what ends up happening is when these pleasures are deprived of them, and they've invested their entire ego strength into getting these gratifications in these unhealthy pathological sorts of ways, they're more inclined to be frustrated, they're more inclined to feel desperation, and they're more inclined to feel anger. There is also a space of existence where individuals in a place of existence turn more towards 
the internal world toward fantasy to gratify themselves. And they will try to take the world and alter the world around them, the external world, to get the gratification that they're looking for. And a good example of that is a person that we would call a narcissist. They develop this fantasy about you know, what it is that the world can give to them and that everyone wants to be there to gratify their needs. But we can see within them as well that when those needs are deprived, it stirs up not only fear that the world is crumbling around them, but also anger and frustration and desperation. And it's really only when we get to a place of living that an individual feeling deprived is more inclined to reach out to those in their lives to say to this other person, you know, I, I am looking for something and I'm not finding that something. You know, we return to Bob Wiley. You know, it's a sad story when we think about the idea that here is this man who lives alone whose only friend in the world is this goldfish. And he doesn't really have anyone to connect with. Now, Bill Murray does it in such a humorous way that we don't recognize so much of his deprivation. But it's there because there's no one in his life that can give him the need gratification that he's looking for, which makes it all the more fascinating when Dr. Marvin comes into his life and he thinks, here's this person who really does see me who does know me, who does understand me, and who's interested in gratifying my needs. And when there's that realization within him, no matter how much he pushes the extreme, he's willing to go to that extreme in order to maintain that gratification. And therefore his ego will do whatever it needs to do in order to feel some relief. I think that when we think about anger, it's much like any other psychological state that we go through. Under anger, there is frustration. Under anger, there is desperation. And I think there's also a state of despair. Because I think when we are in a state of anger and we cannot find some easing of that anger, that oftentimes we end up because it occurs over and over and over again with the deprivation, the desperation, the anger, that it ends up leading to a state of despair where we start to wonder, is there really any value to continue to go on? And it leads to what I refer to as a sense of ego suicide. Not that the ego would intend upon ending itself, but a sense of, feeling like, you know, what is the value of my life? What is the value of living? And I think that it is one of those types of moments when we observing from the outside of an individual who is full of anger and no one seems to see that or everyone seems to avoid that other person. When we see people who are perpetually frustrated and perpetually in a state of desperation, you know, it would behoove us to stop long enough and ask ourselves, you know, what is it that this person might need? You know, there is a quote attributed to Thomas Jefferson or story that I think is appropriate here. And in the story, allegedly, this man goes to Jefferson and says to him, is it ever okay, Mr. Jefferson, to kill another person? And Jefferson says, 
You know, if you ever want to kill someone, count to ten. If by the time you've counted to ten, you still want to kill them, count to a hundred. And if the, by the time you've counted to a hundred, you still want to kill them, go ahead and do it. The point being is that we need to step back and stop long enough to consider what is going on within ourselves, but also being trying to be more objective and less subjective to also consider what's going on within the other person, what it is they've been through, what it is they've experienced. You know, what did they have or not have in their childhoods growing up? Were they given the love that they needed? Were they not given the love that they needed? How pathological did they end up becoming as a byproduct of the world around them? I think it's important for us to take life from this different angle and to consider it and to consider the people around us, not just the way we ordinarily see them, but perhaps to begin to see them for who they really are instead of what it is that is going on inside of us and what we believe them to be. Thank you for listening. Be well.